as possible. Not long ago, PBS ran uh, an eight-part series called The Great American Read. And, and it was listing the, the America's 100 greatest, best-loved novels. And, and as they listed these novels, the great American novels, one of the themes that emerged was the idea that, that in almost all of these novels, the quest for love was one of the key themes. It was uh, especially a romantic love that would endure, a love bigger than death seemed to be one of the key themes that, that, uh, that came out in this. One of, the, one of the surveyors or commentators or whatever said, according to these novels, love is the driving force behind everything that we do. Every book on this list is about love and death and finding love that transcends death. It's just a small indicator of our cultural obsession with the concept of, of love. Uh, uh, Yale scholar Simon May released a book not long ago called Love, a History. And, and he makes the claim that human love has, has become our new God as a culture. That, that love is what our culture worships, seeks, and sees as the answer to, to all of its problems. I'm going to read you this quote that's on your screen. He wrote, human love is now tasked with achieving what once only divine love was thought capable of, to be our ultimate source of meaning and happiness. And you think about our culture, whether it's in our music, uh, I don't care what genre of music you listen to, love, whether it be romantic love, sexual love, whatever love, is a theme that runs through it. And that quest for love, that need for love, uh, love will keep us together and, and love is, uh, all you need is love. And man, I'm showing my age right now. Um, I shouldn't have went down that rabbit trail. But whatever the song, that, that you think about our music. We sing and, and we, we listen to songs about love. You think about, we talked about our books, but what about our movies? Think about how many movies, and I don't care, again, what genre you're talking about. It doesn't have to be just the romantic comedies or the, the, the Hallmark movies. Love is a central force. Think about how many of our favorite action movies, the driving force, the motive behind the character's uh, motivation is love or, or lost love or, or John Wick's love for his dog or whatever. You, you get the idea that, that love seems to be what our society sees as, as the driving force. It's, it's what our, our society talks about. I guarantee you, tonight when you watch the Super Bowl, they will talk about Tom Brady's wife. And she doesn't have anything to do with who wins that game, but we're obsessed with the relationships and with the love. To, to our immense cost, human beings have, have got this idea that human love usurps a role that, that only God's love used to play. This morning, we're starting a series that I'm calling The Struggle is Real. 
and, and there's a lot of things happening with this. Um, we're going to talk about uh, some of the struggle that comes with love and, and with purity and, and with lust and with relationships. That's one of the reasons we've raised the age on Children's Church is because um, I told Jacob this morning, you may not want to go and explain what sex is to Jackson Art yet, and, and I understand that. Um, we're not going to be vulgar or crass, but we are going to talk about some adult subjects because I think it needs to be addressed. And this morning, we're starting with the idea of the struggle for love because our society seems to be perpetually in a struggle for love. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Genesis 29. Not where you expected me to go, right? Genesis 29. It's where we're going to be, and, and Genesis 29 is, is, is part of one of the great love stories of the Bible, and, and it is the story of Jacob. And, and as we get to this point in the story, Jacob is, is kind of a, 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 a tragic yet interesting figure. Jacob is a bit of a con artist. Um, he's a bit of a liar, a little bit of a deceiver. Um, he has, if you remember, deceived his father into getting his brother's birthright. And obviously his brother was not very happy about that. And so Jacob is now, at this point in Genesis 29, on the run um, and, and is trying to find a place. He runs to, to the, the land of his relative Laban and begins to work for Laban in his flocks a little bit. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Genesis 29, verse 15. Laban said to him, to Jacob, Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because he was in love with her. And I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her, and, Jacob, and Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and she gave birth to a son and said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. 
She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, the ti- This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Let's stop right there. So when we meet Jacob, Jacob is this guy with this inner vacuum. He's got this hole inside of him. He's got this hole inside of him that he's looking to fill. And he tries to fill it with, with his, his, his mother's love. Uh, and he tries to fill it with, with this birthright that he's going to, to get from his father. And he tries to fill it with material possessions. And, and he tries to fill it with all kind of things. But it never, it never works. See, Jacob, Jacob just wants love. He wants approval. He wants people to look at him and say, you're, you're a good boy. He wants affirmation. He wants to be loved. And as ancient as this guy is, he is a very modern figure because he's like a lot of people today, empty, longing, searching for love, searching for approval, for affirmation. At this point in the story, Jacob has already had this tremendous encounter with God. See, you can have a relationship with God and still feel empty. Still feel like you need something else to fill that hole. This inner emptiness is still driving him. Because Jacob has has wrapped himself in this hope. This hope that, that is prevalent in our society today. This hope for a one true love. See, Jacob has decided that there is this one true love, and if he could just have that one true love, everything would be great. And our society believes that today, too. We're out searching for the one true love, because if I could just have that one true love, then I would have true happiness. I would have true affirmation. I would have true approval and redemption, and and she or he would fix me. And so we're out looking. We're out seeking. We we invest all of our time and energy and hope in 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 this one true love. Now, what's behind that? What's behind this longing for this one true love? You know, we, we pick up the story of Jacob in this passage, Genesis 29. Jacob's a mess. His life is a mess. His world is a mess. Uh, he is a mess. He's on the run from a brother who wants to kill him. He's betrayed his father and is now exiled from his home. He has no future. He has no hope. He's just bouncing around from couch to couch. He's, he's, in, he's, he's looking for something. And then he starts investing his hope, his hope for himself, his hope for his future, into this one true love. We really see it in in the beginning in verse 15 here in his exchange with Laban. Laban says, look, I know you're my relative, and so I can't let you work for me for nothing. So what do you want me to pay you? And Jacob says, you want to know what I want? I'll I'll tell you what I want. I, I will work for you seven years in order to marry Rachel. Now, the Bible tells us that Rachel is what we would call a a knockout, like supermodel beautiful, gorgeous. 
The Bible is usually very understated. And so if the Bible calls someone very beautiful, you, you can be sure that that's an understatement about the level of her beauty. The, the Bible says that she, has, she is, has a lovely figure, or in some versions, she was lovely in form. And that's describing her body. Her body was sexually attractive to men. And then it says she's beautiful, and that word is having to do with her face. Because not only did she have the supermodel body, but she had a gorgeous face that everyone was attracted to. And, and it's telling us that, that she is more than just sexually attractive. She is stunning. She is beautiful. And it tells us that Jacob is head over heels out of his mind in love with her. And here's, here's how we know that. He's not negotiating here. All right, We, we know from history and archaeology that 30 to 40 shekels was about the normal dowry price that a husband would pay to a father for a marriage. Somewhere around 30 to 40 shekels. And, and we know that one to two shekels a day was the going rate for, for, for laborers at that time. So think about what Jacob is offering here. He's not negotiating. He's not driving a hard bargain. He's offering an over-the-top, crazy amount of money. He's offering an over-the-top, crazy dowry because he is head over heels, outside of his mind, nuts in love with this girl. Verse 21 has been a problem for rabbis and commentators for years because it is so out of character it is so crass and rude, uh, vulgar almost, compared to a lot of the things in, in Scripture. Uh, and, and you'll read different rabbis and commentators, and they always try to find a way to try to explain it away. But, but really, the Bible is just laying it out there. there, there is the, the Word of God is not worried about whether you can handle it or not. It's giving you the real story. And, and Jacob basically comes to Laban at, at the end of seven years and says, I'm done. My contract is done. Today was my day. Now give me my wife because I am outside of my mind with lust. And I want to make love to her right now. That's the cleaned up version. The Hebrew is worse. So in Jacob's mind, Rachel is that one true love. My mom's dead my father rejected me, exiled me, and, and now he's dead. My family hates me. My brother wants to kill me. I have no home. I have no career. I have no future. I, I have no standing, no reputation, but Rachel. Man, Rachel. If I could just get Rachel to fall in love with me, oh, everything would be right. My world would be perfect. If I could just get Rachel in my life, Rachel would fill this hole that's inside of me. It's easy for us to write him off. It's easy for us to read this and go, oh, poor sad Jacob. This poor sap. But as our culture has grown increasingly secular, we have become so advanced in our thoughts that we no longer see a need for God. We've started loading an exceptional amount of spiritual freight on the idea of romantic love. We, we pine and yearn and long for that one true love. And, and, but what are we really looking for? 
We're looking for acceptance. We're looking for justification. We're looking for redemption. All things that can't come from there. If we can just find that one true love, if we can just find that perfect woman, that perfect man, she or he will complete me. She or he will make me whole and fill up this inner emptiness that's inside of me. And that inner emptiness and this overwhelming desire to fill it is what's behind this hope, this dream of this one true love. But no one person can bear all the weight of your hopes and dreams. No one person can handle that. And so that one true love always ends in disillusionment. We see that in Jacob's marriage. He says to Laban, I'll work seven years for you. And Laban thinks, gotcha. See, Jacob's a trickster. Jacob's a con artist. And he's about to get conned. Because you notice Laban doesn't say yes. Read the passage. Jacob says, I'll work for you seven years in exchange for Rachel. And Laban says, meh, better you than somebody else. That's not yes. There's not a contract here. Laban takes the con artist and puts his own game on him. Jacob wants to hear yes because he's so outside of his mind with love. So after seven years of, of, of going to bed every night with this dream of Rachel, of, of, of working every day in, in the heat and in, the, in, the, in sweating and laboring and and thinking, I'm just doing this for Rachel. Seven years of build-up, right? And so then we get to the wedding, and, and it's this huge feast. And Laban brings everybody in, and they spend hours eating and drinking and, and celebrating and drinking and, and talking and drinking. And you, you get the picture, right? And so this wedding goes on and, and there's this great procession from the house to the feast. And, and then there's a ceremony that lasts a couple of hours. And, and then there's a, a, another ceremony back to the feast. And, and through this whole time, the, the wife is veiled. And, and the, the, the feast lasts for hours and hours, well into the night. And so now it's, it's dark and there's no electric lights, y'all. This is a tent in the middle of the desert. And so Rachel takes this woman into his tent in the darkness after hours of eating and drinking. And, and it's pitch black. And he gets his Rachel, his fulfillment, his status, his dream, his one true love. But in the morning, it's not Rachel. It's Leah. Jacob goes to bed with the one. The one true love. The one he's been chasing for almost a decade. He, he, is, he is set. His life is right. Everything is perfect. But in the morning, it's Leah. Now, I love Leah. And we're going to see in just a minute that God loves Leah. We're going to see something really beautiful about Leah. But she is representative in this story of a profound truth. And, and here's that truth. When you put all of your hope when you put all of your dreams, when you put all of your wishes and need for fulfillment or atonement onto the one, 
Whether it is that one relationship, that one marriage, that one child, that one job, that one promotion, that one title, that one paycheck, any one in the morning, it is always Leah. In the morning, it will always disappoint you. Because true fulfillment, true redemption, true love cannot ever be found in a single mortal person. In the morning, it is always Leah. We have people jumping into midlife crisis because their career no longer gives them the fulfillment that it once did because in the morning, it's Leah. We have people leaving their their families because they don't feel the the emotion that they once felt because in the morning it's always Leah. We have people who are seeking drugs, alcohol, uh, sexual promiscuity, uh, money, fame, whatever, and, and leaving other things behind because in the morning it's always Leah. When you're looking for spiritual fulfillment in mortal trappings, In the morning, it will always be Leah. And Leah herself is a tragic figure. The Bible says that she had weak eyes. Now, that passage of Scripture is hard to translate, and most translations don't do a very good job. But to understand it, you don't have to be a Hebrew scholar. You just have to look at the context clues. See, it doesn't say Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel could see a long way. Right? It says... Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was beautiful in form and, and, and beautiful in her face. It's talking about their appearance. And so we don't know whether that means that Leah was cross-eyed or if there was something wrong with her eyes or if she was just hard to look at. But it's not talking about her vision. It's talking about her appearance. And it's saying that this woman was not gorgeous, but she had had to live... Growing up with a baby sister that is supermodel beautiful. Think about what that did to her. A baby sister that daddy loved more than her. You know how I know that? Because daddy had to trick somebody into marrying Leah because he didn't think anybody would ever want her. And she's grown up in a household where... The beauty of the younger sister was always the topic of conversation. The beauty of the younger sister was what the people in the village talked about and and looked at. And, And Leah, bless her heart, imagine growing up like that. Imagine growing up never being enough. Imagine growing up with, with this, uh, never being pretty enough, never being accepted, never feeling truly loved or appreciated. Even your own father has to resort to trickery to get you married because he doesn't believe anybody wants you. Imagine what that does to someone. Now imagine you're that someone and you wake up on the morning after your wedding to see that look of disappointment in your husband's eyes. I don't know whether he yelled. I don't know whether he screamed. The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible says he charged straight at Laban, angry. And he yelled at him, What have you done to me? You don't have to be a mental health professional to to understand what that would do to Leah, right? 
Because Leah, too, see, is, is hoping. She's in that same conundrum that Jacob's in. She's hoping for that one true love. She's looking for that one true love. And hers is Jacob. Jacob, the one her heart longs for, though, is forever in the arms of the woman whose shadow she's lived in her whole life. Can you imagine what that's like? The following verses, we see Leah continuing for years to come to long for Jacob. Jacob is her one true love. Look at, at every time Leah has another child, every time Leah has another baby, she chooses a Hebrew word for that child as a name that expresses her longing for Jacob, her longing for this one true love, and, and to express the hurt and the disappointment that is her life. Reuben means to see. And, and so she names her child see. Reuben means see because now maybe my husband will finally see me. She names her second child Simeon. Simeon means hear. And, and she goes on to say, maybe now my husband, my one true love, will finally hear my longing for him. She names her third child Levi, which means to attach. And she says, because maybe now that I've given him three sons, now that I am the Proverbs 31 woman, now that I am this perfect wife and this embodiment of the family values that he wants, I, maybe now he will finally connect with me. She's being the perfect wife. She's putting all her hopes and all her dreams on that one true love but remember what we said earlier that one true love will always disappoint whether it's he or she whether it's babies whether it's family whether it's a career or money or sex drugs or rock and roll whatever it is cannot fulfill you it will always disappoint but this is not a story that's just tragic. This is a story of hope. Real hope. Not manufactured or fantasized. Real hope. And, and let's look at that. Because every single baby, every single time, Leah expresses this, this disappointment and this hurt that is in her heart. And, and she's making an idol out of her family. If I just keep having babies, if I just keep providing him sons, sooner or later that's going to break through and he's going to look at me the way I want to be looked at. He's going to love me the way I want to be loved. And every single baby, she's looking for that fulfillment from her husband. She's looking for, for her fulfillment, fulfillment in, 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 in her family. And, and consequently, many churches today are teaching that, 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 that you are only pleasing to God if you are in family, if you have family values. And I'm sorry, I, I do believe that God is pleased that he gave you a family but that's not scriptural because nothing can fulfill you when you put the weight of godhood on top of it so the real hope leah is idolizing family but and, and by providing these sons she will somehow make herself worthy and, and and she's calling out to god as well commentators find it fascinating that she's using the covenant name for god yahweh 
In Genesis, the only people who use the covenant name for God are, are those in whom with God is in covenant. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, eventually. But those are the only people who use the covenant name for God, except Leah. Leah is using the covenant name for God as she calls out to him. And, and she is seeking this, this, this worth, this justification, this value. And, and the only way she thinks she's going to find it is through this one true love. The breakthrough for Leah comes in verse 35, the fourth son. Verse 35, the fourth son. She names him Judah, which means praise. And she says, this time is different. This time I'm not going to look to my husband for my value. This time I'm not going to look to my father for my value. This time I'm not going to be defined by the relationships in my life. This time I'm not going to worry about how I compare to my sister or anybody else. This time I'm going to praise God. And that's the turning point for Leah. Leah took the deepest desires of her heart all her hopes and all her dreams, and she takes it off of her husband and she gives it to God. Her whole life had been lived trying to please men. Had been lived trying to please her father, trying to, to match up to her sister in the eyes of the men of the village, her, her, now her, Jacob, her husband, and, and her whole life had been spent in the shadow of her beautiful sister who had all the, the artificial trappings, and, and her whole life had been defined by an outward appearance that she couldn't change, but not this time. The last time, this time, Leah says, I'm going to praise God, and I'm not going to look to men or, or people or, or, or anything for my value. I'm going to look to God. I submit to you this morning that until you do the same thing, until you take all of your hopes and your dreams and your need for value and put it on God, you will always be disappointed. Ultimately, this is a story of grace. Leah doesn't know it, Jacob doesn't know it, but the writer of Genesis knows it. In chapter 49, near the end of the book, there will be a prophecy, and that prophecy will say that in Judah, this breakthrough child, the child that Leah lifts up in praise to God, Judah will be the one through whom the king will come. See, this is a story of grace. The Lord looks down and he sees Leah. The only person in this story, maybe the only, the, the only being in her life that really saw Leah. And he sees that she's unloved and he blesses her. He loves her. You see, that's the true bridegroom. That's the only true love. He's the only. No earthly love can withstand the weight of Godhood. Remember that. No earthly love can withstand the weight of Godhood. And God says right here in, in, in Genesis, He says, the way my story is going to work is totally different than what you're expecting. The way my story is going to work is this right here. Contrary to what uh, American religion will tell you, contrary to what culture will tell you, God's not looking for beautiful people. God's not looking for the strong people, the morally together people. God looks at the con artist and the liar and the ugly girl that nobody wanted and says, this right here, is how my kingdom's coming to the world. 
if you're yearning for a relationship, it's not wrong. I'm not telling you you're wrong to ask God to give you love. But there's no relationship that's going to fulfill you until you take that longing and give it to God. If you're unmarried and, and you really want to be married, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're never going to be ready for marriage until you realize this. Until you realize that no human being is going to fill that void. If you feel ugly, not just physically, but, but spiritually ugly. If you feel rejected, discarded, and forgotten. Jesus came not as the God at the top of the ladder who wants everybody to make their way up. No, Jesus came and said, I'm going to be the ladder. I'm going to be the ladder that takes you into the presence of the Father. Until you get that, until you accept that, the struggle with love will always be more than you can handle. This morning, though, a lot of you are in the place of Leah. And if you're ready to let go, if you're ready to say this time is going to be different, if you're ready to say this time... I'm going to praise the Lord. And that's what we're going to offer you. That's the, the point of us being here. This time, I'm going to stop putting my hopes and dreams on the things of this world, and I'm going to put my hopes and dreams on the only thing that can fulfill me. We're going to offer an opportunity right now for you to respond. And, and we're going to have this week elders and their wives as well as some people we've asked to be prayer partners who are going to go to the back of the room and and they're going to be back there and and if you feel like this time I want to praise the Lord that's the opportunity we want you to feel comfortable to be able to go to someone and say I need you to pray with me because this time I want to give it to God and the Bible says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And, and these guys are back there not because they're holy, but, but because that's part of their job as spiritual shepherds. And, and so you go and you don't have to tell them details. They don't need to know that. God knows. God knows everything that, that's going on in your life, probably better than you do. You go back there and you say, I just need you to pray with me. I need you to lift me up. I need to give this to God. Or let us pray for you as a church. Let us help you come to God in baptism. Whatever we can do for you, it's time to stop putting that pressure on the things of this world and give it to God. If you're ready to do that, I want you to come right now while together we stand and sing.